Welcome to the Two Catholic Guys Podcast, where we can all agree that we have dubia about these two. And now here are your hosts, Ed Pluchar and Adam Fisher. Thank you very much for the Alliance, and welcome everyone to episode 19 of the Two Catholic Guys Podcast. On today's show, we conclude our series on the sacraments by discussing holy matrimony, and we really should hurry up and figure out what we're doing next. All this and more starts right now. Welcome on into the show, everybody. He's Ed. I'm Adam. We're live here in two ways. In two ways. One is a little derivative, but the other is actually live. By the way, when you're on the podcast, we speak into the microphone. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm, look at this, right down the middle. All right, we're going to hang up on our live friends. And of course, you can check us out. Facebook.com slash Two Catholic Guys. We often post uh, Facebook Live while we're on. Uh, so good thing for the listeners who aren't on the Facebook. And of course, if you're li- watching us on live, you're like, what are you talking about? I know how to get there. No dubia. No doubt. <laughs> so, Ed, uh, <laughs> what are we talking about tonight? We are talking about holy matrimony. I thought you were going to do the, the, the marriage thing. Marriage? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's talk about marriage. Uh, so, Ed, before we uh, jump too far into it, what are we drinking tonight? Uh, is it jazzy? Jammy. Oh. <laughs> I, I think it's a little up. bit jazzy. Yeah, I already screwed yeah. it up. <laughs> I've, done, I've done the jazz hands a couple times out of excitement. We're drinking uh, Macedon Pinot Noir. This is actually from the region formerly known as Macedonia okay. in Greece. And right. uh, I'm enjoying it. I like it. Uh, it's got some, you know, like raw, flute, raw fruit flavor. Um, not jammy. Not jammy it's at all. not jammy. Thanks, Whole Foods guy. That yeah. was a good recommendation. Yeah. Uh, I'd recommend it. Yeah. So, Ed, we usually kick this uh, part of the show off by talking about our experience with the sacrament. We do that. Uh, we're obviously total pros at this. Oh, and, my goodness. So, you have come to the right place, yes, people. you are listening to the right <laughs> two guys because we have this marriage thing. We are two married Catholic completely guys. Completely figured out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Ed, uh, when's your anniversary? When did you guys get married? Let's, tell, uh, let's dive into it. Yeah. I think the audience knows that part. Hang on. i got to look it up. No. no, I'm just kidding. April 21st, 2006. So that's coming up here. It is. It I is. can't believe it's already April. 11 years. By the time know, this goes live, it'll be April 2nd. It's it's going way too fast. It is. It has. It's Lent, as you feared, has gone way too fast. Yeah. yeah. I, I told you. It's just what happens. Yeah, it does. Advent we, does that for me more than Lent, but well, both Advent, do. Yeah. obviously shorter, but yeah, oh, both both really kick your butt there, right? They do. And And I'm already feeling it. Like, yeah. I'm feeling it on Lent. I felt it today. I actually took a sick day today. I had a bit oh. of a sore throat. Obviously, Thanks I'm for... a total pro. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, and you had tell. me over anyway. <laughs> and you woke up with the plague once I and still know, came over. That, yeah. and, and then everyone in my family got sick. So <laughs> I don't feel so bad. Anyway, so... <laughs> so <laughs> the show must go on. It, 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 sh- it sure must. So uh, coming up and, and 11. So 11, it will be 11, 11 years. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. It is crazy. I remember your, your wedding like it was yesterday. And what's very yeah, interesting yeah. is... When you got married, I was still a Protestant. You were. I you was. did the reading. I did the um, reading. But I didn't want you to get any closer to the Eucharist that I'm, day. So I'm that was... aware. So you're like, you're not standing up. You're, you're going to go. And we, you got married at St. Julie's, Correct. which is very far from the altar. The, the That's lectern true. Yeah, yeah. is very fall, far from the altar. So it's you, at least 20 paces. At yeah, least, it, yeah. Was, it, it worked. So, yeah. So. But yeah, it was a glorious day. I, um, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, th- I thought it, uh, 
it went kind of like according to the way you hope it would. Okay. I mean, not detail for detail, but just yeah. the the significance, the gravity of the event, the being with my beautiful bride and, and yeah. the family and friends. It was it was beautiful. Yeah. I didn't pick up any chicks, so it didn't go the way I had hoped. Well, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> it all worked out tell me yeah, about your wedding it yeah it sure did so uh so i got married uh september 15th 2012 that did happen yeah. so in the podcast studio is actually a beautiful mural painted by my father so the podcast studio is in an unnamed location yeah yeah and an unnamed room but we have a fake window in the room and against some velvety walls yes against mm-hmm. velvety walls cut into the velvety walls carefully carefully meticulously i might add you must is a fake window and in that fake window now wait a minute that's fake (laughs) yeah ask ask the inspector in in the fake in the fake window is a mural that it looks like you're looking out where our wedding reception it does happen so uh, we got married in in upstate New York, which is where my skinny atlas, skinny atlas if you will, awesome. mm-hmm. uh, I've heard it pronounced many different ways. Given it's ironic, uh, it's not ironic. It's very odd spelling. Yeah, yeah. Skinny atlas. You just have to go for it. it. You just have to go. It's for like the it. Old Testament. You just go for it. Is that what the Old Testament? The, the like? names, yeah. Not, okay. not the, 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 the allergy. Yeah. The names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just go for it. Who knows? Who, who knows, knows how you say that? Just open it up and just read. Go for it. You get to Deuteronomy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so. But but yeah. So we got married in upstate New York. Uh, beautiful well, uh, beautiful uh, ceremony. Beautiful mass. A uh, very historic church mm-hmm. uh, basilica in in Syracuse, which is beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I actually. So we had a very DIY wedding, mm-hmm. and as you're aware, you were you were there. Ed did stand at my wedding because he didn't regress into Protestanthood. <laughs> Not that Protestanthood <laughs> okay. is regression. You just can't stand up in our wedding, right? Yeah. Well, uh, that rule wasn't that's exactly not a rule, valid, yeah. but yeah. yeah, but it's Somebody not a rule. There were a couple anyway. heathens involved. I remember. Yeah. Well, <laughs> be that as it may, <laughs> that's called evangelism, Ed. Some of us. All right. You, we're on all the time, some aren't you? Some of us <laughs> want to evangelize at all times, unlike others who want to shun their friends. But <laughs> so, so beautiful wedding, very DIY. We had to actually bring in our own bathrooms. That's how DIY mm-hmm, it was. Mm-hmm. So we just got a couple of buckets and some. It some was curtains. nice. No, but I mean, the hand soap was there. It was yeah, nice. no, yeah. there's hand soap and and and, and shower curtain. Was nice. Yeah. I, what was interesting to me though is. The, the ceremony and planning out the liturgy in as much of the control we were given over the liturgy mm-hmm. was was more important to me than our DIY wedding. And don't get me wrong, we spent hours upon hours, and even the week of the wedding, this is the not day a of, joke, yeah. the day of, but the week of the wedding, <laughs> yeah. I spent 75 hours getting that place yeah, ready. Yeah. The day morning of, I was there at 6 a.m. making sure that everyone had a place to sit and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was... It was more important to me to have a beautiful ceremony yeah. and to have a beautiful liturgy. And, you know, we we hired six mus- musicians. I was going to say magicians. <laughs> and, and then, <laughs> this is back to the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we did not have six magicians. We had six musicians, which are very, very different. And, and it, was, uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful liturgy, beautiful ceremony. Mm-hmm. We were super excited about it, and I mean, meticulous notes, meticulous spreadsheets on just the liturgy, and, and yeah. uh, you know, 
there there are plenty of folks who get married outside the context of the Eucharist, which totally valid mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it. You know, it, it, obviously not something I was interested in. Clearly, not something you're interested mm-hmm. in. And it the the marriage ceremony is most beautifully celebrated. And I'm when you know, not to infringe on anyone who didn't do it this way, but to me, it's most beautifully celebrated in the context of the Eucharist. I agree. I agree. Not well, bad. yeah, and this is kind of leading a little bit, but the just the the very notion that. Um, you know, the love of Christ for the church is compared to that of the groom for his bride. Mm-hmm. And the the Eucharist is the wedding feast of heaven. You know, this is what we learn in Revelation. So yep. it, it, it almost, it just tells itself, right? It just, yeah. <laughs> it just lays itself out. Yeah. And um, like you said, it is valid not to, but I, I just can't see doing it any other way. Yeah. And, and, you know, you brought up the wedding feast of lamb, and that's what's so beautiful about scripture, right? So, so scripture opens with man and woman and their union. So, it opens with this great act of creation, mm-hmm. and at the end of that act of creation come the the creation par excellence of of humankind, right. of, of man and woman, and then God essentially brings them together as man and woman, as you know, essentially a married couple, mm-hmm. and. And gives them the command to be fruitful and multiply. But then scripture ends with the wedding feast of the Lamb. Yeah. So the the whole of human experience from, from creation and grace to fall to redemption and salvation history concludes with the wedding feast of the Lamb. And throughout scripture and throughout the New Testament... The, this concept, as you mentioned, of, of bride and bridegroom, this concept of putting the relationship of God and his people and certainly Christ and his church in the context of marriage, it's all over the place. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's because while you know, a lot of people will say, hey, you know, marriage is a, is a human institution, but, but it really isn't. It's it not. has divine origins. Right. And even though it's been practiced, and that's what's fascinating about marriage. You know, there's obviously a lot of debates about marriage. We're not going to get into that stuff. But at its core, the reason that it captures everyone's imagination is because it's been going on for almost the whole, I mean, certainly what we believe is the whole of human history. Right. Right. And so people can understand and relate to marriage in a way that very few other things are as relatable as marriage. It absolutely makes sense. And it's, it's biologically programmed into us, you know, for one thing. Um, One thing I, I didn't think of this myself, but somebody pointed out it is the only sacrament that originates before the fall. Right, that it survived the fall. Right, it's just a fascinating way to look at it. I think, and kind of touching on that point, the the whole point you were making there, which is a good one, you almost have to appreciate that it is this. There's this arc of marriage that has taken place over the course of history, and you almost have to get outside of. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but the bridal magazines or your yeah. TV weddings or yeah. just the the trappings of a 21st century wedding. And say this is just a fascinating thing yeah. that a man and woman would come together and commit themselves for life in this way. And if you back up from there, realizing that God Himself instituted this, He knew at that institution of marriage that this was going to this was going to be a a way of showing 
a, a way of illustrating his love for the church, for for his own people. And that then becomes the primary reality, right? The the marriage actually, what we celebrate as marriage is a shadow reflection, an echo of that reality he's trying to teach us about. Yeah, and and then you see marriage, you mentioned, you know, being established before the fall, but then you see the fact that it has still resonated and continued Keeps after going. the fall. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating. In a world that is so torn apart, in a world that is so isolated, in a world that finds a way to do violence upon anything and everything. And don't get me wrong, because of of sin, because of right. the of human nature, those things enter marriage. Mm-hmm. But it still has has endured and it still has persisted. And it still is captured in the hearts of all. And and so there's obviously clearly something very central and special about this sacrament. And when you get to almost all, I mean, not almost, when you get to all of the sacraments, and I feel like we've almost mentioned this every episode, mm. there is something so innately human about all of it. Yeah. Baptism, the the the, the desire for, for renewal, you know, confession, the, the desire to get rid of your guilt, mm. you know, all the way even through holy orders, the desire to give yourself for something other. Consecrate yourself, and, yeah. yeah it, it, it's... There's always something innately human about all of the sacraments that that the church has recognized as being a special conduit of the grace of God. And in that way, you see that they are divinely planned. Yeah. And in that yeah. way, you see that they are divinely instituted. And that's it's, it's a really awesome thing. But when we talk about marriage specifically, you know, there a lot of people... You know, you brought up the bridal magazines, you brought up the TV movies, you brought up the this concept of of you know a, a world that is fascinated and in love with love, but may not totally understand it. Right. Catholic matrimony sets itself apart in a very very special way, and mm. in that, basically the the. The catechism would say it straight out this way. The the matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized person has been raised by Christ to the Lord, uh, by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. So essentially the church lays out for us that the the purpose of this sacrament, the purpose of matrimony, and the purpose of marriage is for the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. Mm-hmm. And and nowhere in there does it say, you know, it's because you love each other. You know, and obviously yeah. that's that's well, no, but that's, right. But it, it no, that's nowhere, part of the good yeah, of the spouses though. Right. Yeah. Nowhere nowhere does it say because you were meant for each other. Nowhere does it say because you're soulmates. What right. it basically is saying is this is for the good of you two and it's for you to to act as co-creators with God right. to continue the human family. And it goes back to that divine edict in the garden mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, it's you are you need to be fruitful and multiply and and i've i've created you and now i invite you into the act of creation and that's a very powerful concept incredible yeah. that that a god who who created everything we see from nothing now asks us to take the primordial soup we've been given and not that we create out of nothing but kind of Kinda, <laughs> like, like you know, a whole human being, an ensouled human, 
you are you're 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 creating something out of nothing did not just exist before. What, what God gave you, mm-hmm. and and of course it's not ex nihilo the way God right, created right. the universe, and and biology clearly teaches that as well. Or maybe it is. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, no, uh, but, but it's it's something that did not exist before. It's not absolutely. out of no material, but it's right. out of it's just something that didn't exist now exists. It's yeah, a, it's a, an amazing thing. And and that's you know and so the the, the church then you know I, I bring up love and, and the church has a lot to say about love and and what they when they expound on this idea, they talk about this concept of conjugal love and conjugal good. Well, no, no, you, this is a bad time. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm sure. Is you it a good time? One. Yeah, no, it's a great okay. time. Adam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you ever known a woman? <laughs> <laughs> Let me try again. Adam, have you ever known a woman? Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, so, so that's a no. I, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. I have two kids. I think I've known a that's woman. A yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's fascinating is um, uh, conjugal love. Basically, conjugal means husband wife. I mean that that's its Latin Indeed. root, right? And conjugal love. Uh, it is this concept of, of a complete self-giving and self-sacrifice. And and it also recognizes inherent in it is that self-giving and self-sacrifice for one another and for your offspring and for your family. And I the, the best thing I can say about this is, is, is a line I saw, and, and it's fantastic. Love seeks to be definitive. Interesting. Love seeks to be definitive. And if you look at that in, in all its forms and in all the ways that God has expressed his love for us, you think about salvation history, you think about the Israelites, and, and you think about the way that the, the, the Jewish form of worship was set up in the Old Testament. Very definitive. There, there yeah. was no gray area on how God was going to have his people, his chosen race, worship him. Yeah. You look at Christ on the cross <laughs> and and what that means that's a definitive act of love there is no confusing that act of love mm-hmm. and so when when the church calls us to a sacrament in which it says you will bind yourself to one person for as long as one of you or both of you are alive right and that is a definitive act backed up by Christ's words, backed up by witnesses, by witnesses, backed up by God's plan for you since the beginning of creation. That is definitive. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And, and it can seem nearly impossible to say, I'm going to pledge myself to one person for the rest of my life. But it is a definitive act. It's not hard for me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is a definitive <laughs> it's a definitive act yeah and and that's in, in a world that that wants to to take us in a lot of different directions when it comes to love and and I, I, more talking about you know there's obviously for as long as we've known marriage there's been polygamy you know, polyamory is kind of gaining acceptance in the wider culture now. Love is definitive, and mm-hmm. don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And, mm-hmm. and if 
if you're a married person right now, that's what God is calling to you, a definitive love and an everlasting love with the person whom you are related to by marriage, as one of my favorite podcasters says. It's God's love for us has always been proven and shown to us in definitive acts, and in such he asks us to do the same in this sacrament. And that's what's fascinating about the sacrament is that, you know, we talked about how throughout the New Testament there's this this corollary between Christ and his church, but that's also why God calls us to pure fidelity to our spouse. We are to behave like Christ, especially husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. That and, part's hard. And yeah. that part <laughs> is hard. And and that means that if we hope to God that Christ is faithful to his church and the gates of hell shall never overcome it, mm-hmm. then we are called to that same level of fidelity in our marriage. Right. And that's a really powerful thought. And again, that's because love is definitive and, and there's no two ways about it. There's There's no other way to look at it. So Ed, though... For love to be definitive, there must be free consent. Oh, really? What does that mean? Well, if you're into, if you're enjoying this segue, it means a this is marriage in the church. A baptized man and a baptized woman mm-hmm. woman must be free women. We were back to polygamy. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, I didn't read that part, but, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm just gonna roll. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> um, Remember. Facebook.com slash two kittens. Should we go live? Again? <laughs> yeah. So the baptized man and baptized woman are must be free to consent to enter into a marriage properly. And freedom cons- to consent means they're not under any constraint and they're not impeded by any natural or ecclesiastical law. Um, those are kind of hard to parse, but we'll just kind of leave them where they are. This is this is really the interesting part coming up, I think. So in the right itself, the right of marriage. The and this is only in the Latin Church. I, I discovered this is not true in the Eastern Church, um, but in, in the Latin Church, the minister of a marriage is actually the spouses, respectively, to each other. Um, the priest is there to witness and to be a witness for the church. And there's of course family and friends who who are witnesses as well. Right. Um, but they they mutually the the husband and the wife or the husband and wife to be mutually confer the grace of God upon each other with their vows. Yeah. Um, which, which is just awesome. Like that's kind of back to baptism where yeah. an atheist can baptize can baptize you. Like there's just such an abundance of grace there to to make that possible. And it's also the only sacrament you brought up baptism, but the, where the normal form is and the only form in this case right. is it is not con- the 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 sacrament is not conferred upon someone through an ordinary minister or an extra right, ordinary. Right. It's, it's only conf- it's conferred by two lay people essentially essentially yeah which yep. is really fascinating yeah um so for the catholic this takes place we we actually mentioned this so I won't hit it too hard but um if they're both catholic it's kind of recommended that they have the ceremony take place in the context of Eucharist. We talked about that, the wedding feast of heaven. Um, so the the priest will do do the do the uh, the liturgy, and then leads the couple through the vows, acts as a witness, and uh, you've got the congregation there as well, all acting as uh, witnesses on behalf of the church. And that part's interesting too, because you can confer the grace upon each other, but the church has to kind of be there, right? The church has to say, "Yeah, this happened." 
and they they almost testify to God on your behalf, even though God is there and all that. Um, so the the vows, the sacrament forms the bond of marriage itself, um, which we learn is indissoluble. Indissoluble. There we go. Among men, mm-hmm. um, that of course is the way it began, and then you know Jesus teaches us that through the hardness of their hearts, Moses allowed divorce, but he reinstitutes what God has joined, no man may may tear asunder. Love that word asunder. Yeah, and that's um, in the right. That right, it is straight right. from the right, right, right. there. Um, so th- that's that's one effect is that it forms that bond, that indissoluble bond. It's it's like when a priest gets ordained, there's an indelible mark put up, put upon his soul, and nothing takes it away. Um, the bond is there; it cannot be taken away, except by God. Um, the other effect of of matrimony is that you know you, you talked about marriage is hard, and it is you know it is hard. Um, Try, try to live with any one person <laughs> for any length of time. It's hard. But what marriage does, and I can, I can testify to this, it gives you grace you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And even grace directed for one person <laughs> um, to to help each other attain holiness. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this was a, a focal point for me in getting married and, and kind of professing what our marriage was is that I'm marrying her because I think she's going to help me get to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's re- you know that's real. That's really what I thought. It's really what I still think. Um, and obviously, my obligation is likewise to help her to get to heaven. Um, furthermore, uh, especially in in the church, it's expected that if there can be, there will be children, and um, you're to, to do the same for them. You're to help them attain holiness. You're to teach them in the faith, raise them up, and um, you know, hopefully, see them through the gates of heaven. And and you you brought up children and the, one of the things I love in the church is this concept of the domestic church and and basically the Catholic Church truly professes truly believes that as parents you are the primary educators of your child in all ways and in the ways of of life in the ways of faith in the ways of of bringing Christ into the world and and helping them understand who they are. And, and so the, the, the church essentially gives us this concept of the domestic church that within your house, you are your own church. (laughs) And, and then we come together as a community in church, but really church starts in your home. You are a church, you are a community of believers and the parish is almost a mini diocese, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, essentially parents are, almost like mini pastors I right. mean, they are yeah. they are to be all things to their children and they shall commit their lives to their children the same way a pastor commits their lives to their their parishioners mm-hmm. and to their flock and so they are to lead them they are to guide them they are to give them all support they are to rebuke them they are to lift them up they are to console them and they are to to love them with everything they have that's your job as a parent and <clears throat> that is another way to exercise the common priesthood. Yeah. That we are a priesthood, we are a, a royal nation, and and we are to be a domestic church. And when you go home, you're walking into the sanctuary, the de- domestic church. Yeah, that's beautiful, and it, that's you know there there at times in the church been um, concerns about clericalism and things like that, but this is one of those great. I think if if I had been ordained, I think if anyone is ordained, it's sort of humbling in the sense that 
you're second. You know, if, if you're if you're a parish priest, you're kind of the second one in line, and mom and dad are the first ones who really instill the faith. Really are the primary teachers. Um, you know, we do a lot. I mean, let's talk about some some common ways of of exercising that maybe. One is, you know, regular prayer. We mm-hmm. pray before meals. We pray mm-hmm. at nighttime, things like that. Um, another is just like, hey, what are you thinking about? You know, what's, what questions do you have? What do you, when we read this book, what are you taking away from it? How do you think, you know, if it's, if it's a story like the Chronicles of Narnia, how does this relate to the way God loves us or the way the Gospels go or, or something like that? Right. But you're always... You're, you're always, but not constantly, if that makes sense, you're always finding ways to instruct them, to train them up in the faith. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned parents being the first line, and you mentioned the priest being second. And, and all all too often in our culture, that's not understood that way. No. And, and as we've become a more service-oriented economy, We've treated priests, we've treated teachers more as service providers who are the first line, not yeah. recognizing that that's not how it works. That's not how life works, and, and there's nothing wrong with a service-based economy. Right. I've benefited greatly <laughs> from it, <laughs> but that's not how this works. You, right. Church is not just a place for you to get the religious part, and, and going to school isn't the place to just get the education part. Mm-hmm. That all happens in the domestic church. Though a priest, a teacher, a school administrator, they all they are are supporters in the domestic church. Right. And and all too often as as more families offer themselves up to a certain extent in an unholy way for the sake of capital. Sure. They they lose out on this understanding of their true role and job in the training of their children. And they expect way too much out of the RE director. They expect way too much out of the math teacher. And as that happens, there is a degradation of society. As that happens, there is a breakdown of the fundamental building blocks of society, which the church teaches, that's what a family is. The family is the fundamental building block of a society. Mm -hmm. You build up strong, holy, good families. You you build up a good, well-functioning society. And when you stop doing that, you lose. Right, right. And And that's just one kind of push quote there. Um, We, Marcy and I were talking about this at some point, not too distant past, and, uh, you know, I was saying... I was going to. I'm sure it'll happen again. Uh, And I think I I had the idea to pull the kids out of school for one thing or another. It almost doesn't matter what it is. But she she was like, "We can't, we can't just pull them out of school." I was like, "No, no, no, no. We're the parents. Yeah, the school serves us. The school serves at our pleasure. Right. And we could take them out. We could do homeschool. We could do anything. You know, it doesn't have to be that drastic. But the point is." That's how it works. Like you said, the way it works is we are their teacher, their parent, they're they're all these things. And if we look and say, this thing here is a priority for which we'll withdraw them for a day from their normal education, no big deal because it's your call. You know? right. um, and I, I think you're right. I think people just kind of, and not everybody, not, you know, I think a lot of people go in there and they understand religious ed as a supplementary. Right. But 
perhaps too many just say, I don't know what to do. Like they, you know, they give up or, or they don't try or whatever it is. They don't feel sufficient to, to teach their kids, whatever. Um, but they, they should, they should grab onto it and put, throw their whole effort into it. And instead they, they put them in there and just say, hopefully these people can, <laughs> can teach them better than I can. And, yeah. you know, whatever happens, happens. It, it, to me, that's, that's unacceptable. I think, I think part of it though, is the church has to call parents to this. Okay. And and as a parent, I can't say that I've been appropriately called to this. I know this because of I'm very fortunate to have really grabbed onto my faith. I've, I've I'm fortunate to have a seminary experience. I'm fortunate to have certain experiences that that if you were a faithful Catholic going through life, I don't feel like you would necessarily be called to the depths that we're even calling people to tonight. Yeah. And and as a result, you know, I've been an RE teacher. There is a crisis of catechesis in our church, and that is partly the church is to blame for that. But parents are the primary. That's where that primarily lands. Having said that, it is the church's fundamental job to train parents to one sure. call them to this and two give them resources to be a true domestic church. Sure. And if people have come up uncatechized and they have no one calling them to change their ways, they have no one calling them to say, this is what your job and role is, mm. they will continue what they know. Right. And, and, and I say this humbly, but, but the way I'm raising my children is not the way I was raised, especially around the faith. Like sure. We didn't pray before meals. We didn't pray at night. I went through CCD, but essentially CCD, again, that was that service-oriented concept. Oh, he'll learn the faith through eight years or whatever it is. Yeah. And and that's that's not how it works. And so parents are called to this. And, and in a sobering way, this is what parents will be judged on hmm. before Christ, is how did you work to lead your children to me? Right. How did you work to love them with an everlasting love? And how did you teach them about love and about Christ? We're going to be asked those questions as parents, yeah. and you have to be ready, and you have to live a life that will give a good account of that. And I think that's exactly right. I think even if you don't know enough to, you don't feel sufficient to educate your children in the faith. the The very fact of acknowledging it is one thing, and, the, and Jesus isn't going to condemn you for your insufficiency now. Right. But knowing that and wanting to grow and develop and get better as a teacher of your of your children is kind of where it's at. That's that's what you have to focus on. Again, religious ed as a supplement is a great thing. You know, it can be a great thing. I would even say it's 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 almost human nature. Like there there's some um this this is a little bit of a tangent. I apologize if we get too far off the rails here. Mm. But the the industrial model of education, right? 30 kids in a classroom, right. maybe more. Right. One teacher, you switch classes, but you're, you're just kind of like farmed in, for lack of a better word. And, you know, there, there's a good deal of evidence in, in just the basic understanding that smaller class sizes are better points to the fact that that's an insufficient model of education. Right. In some ways, that's what religious ed is, though. Like, And again, it's not, it's not nothing, right. but really 
to me, the, you know, just as I look at human nature, I think the, the absolute best way of teaching anyone anything is, is an apprenticeship model. Yeah. And that's effectively what you're doing when you're a parent and you're teaching your child is you're, you're up close and personal. You're, you have an intimate knowledge of who they are and what they're capable of. And you're tailoring and challenging and, and comforting and doing all these things based on the unique person they are in such a way that no one else can. And certainly no one else can when they also have 12, 20, 30 other kids to, to worry about. Right. I, I, I completely agree. And, and it's what we're called to do. And, yeah. and, and when you reek of Christ, <laughs> there it is. That's, that's what your children will, will learn. Yeah. And if you don't, and, and you could teach them until you're blue in the face, but you have to know Christ and you have to invite him into your home and you have to be willing to follow him. And when you do, your children will notice and they'll understand that and they'll go from there. So that's it. That's it for the sacrament series. Wow. How did, how, did we get through all of them? We got through all of them, all sacraments. There's no hidden No hidden sacraments. No gospel no matter what, sacraments. No matter what uh, Brown says, what Daniel Brown, right? Daniel, the, yeah. yeah. Whatever his name is. Yeah. No. We'll, we'll make it up because he makes things up too. Yeah, sure. So there's nine. But... Uh, <laughs> No, so how did you feel about it? How how do you think we did? How did you, you know? What did you learn? I, one thing I thought is it'll be interesting in two years when we go over the sacrament series again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I had a very similar thought. A very similar thought. Yeah, I, I think it could be crisper the next time. I, I think we've done kind of preliminary research. It'd be interesting to to pull a little more richness and color. Maybe pull some scholars and saints and and other a uh, couple more interviews. Yeah. Um, but I think it was a, a commendable job for the first time around and, and well worthwhile. So we're still working on what we're going to talk about next. We haven't completely decided, so hang tight. But we'll post it on Facebook, and clearly you'll hear about it. We'll set it up in our next episode. You'll probably hear a minute or two before that. And, of course, want to once again talk about uh, on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, we will have our series on the Triduum, which we're super excited Very about. Exciting. We've actually done a retreat on the Triduum. We have, we, and it was good. That it was, was good. good retreat. Yeah. It was good. We should just, like, dust that off and just do it just again. talk it through. Yeah. yeah. So not talking through. I oh, mean, actually do it again. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, it was really good. So look for that on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, which is only two or wow. three weeks away here. So it's two, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's nuts. Scary. So remember, hey, Lent's not over. Go it's get not, it. Keep going. Yep. It, you know, better to have two, a great two weeks of Lent than yeah. have a mediocre six or seven or how many weeks it is. So the sheep that returned. Yep. Go make it happen. Yeah. yeah. There's plenty of time. No time like the present. Go give something up now. Who knows? Like, I gave up Twitter right in the middle of Lent. I'm like, I'm done with this. There you go. I, I want to detach from the world. Well, that's the spirit of it, really, is just whatever is pulling you back. Get Let it go. I totally agree. So listen for our next series. We'll tell you about that soon. You'll probably hear a few minutes before then. And, of course, our series on the Triduum. All right. That's all the time we have for tonight. Remember to check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and TwoCatholicGuys.com. So for our announcer, Neil Lyons, Brian Thomas, and my other Catholic guy at Plutcher, I'm Adam Fisher. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next Sunday on the Two Catholic Guys podcast. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.